welcome to That Tech Pod, where we discuss all things e-discovery, data privacy, cybersecurity, and tech innovations. I'm Laura Milstein. And I'm Gabby Schulte. Each week, we're talking to heavy hitters in the industry to help us break down these topics. Today, Gabby, who are we talking to? Today, we're talking to Jules Okafor, CEO and founder of Revolution Cyber. Jules is a senior executive with proven business sales and legal experience, 15-year track record building sales operations, managing P&L, growing small to mid-sized businesses, and building and leading executive teams. Jules, Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So before we get into all things Revolution Cyber, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into cybersecurity? Because um, every everybody who's kind of told us their journey, it's been an interesting one. So yeah, how did you get to kind of get into that? Um, funny enough, I my first entry point into cybersecurity came through Craigslist. So I applied for a job. Seems that- safe. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I, every time I say it, I get a little nervous because I don't want anybody to do what I did. It worked out <laughs> for me. I can't promise right. to work out for others, but essentially um, I start, I found a sales role at an MSSP in Ashburn, Virginia. And I started my career by driving two hours every day, each way to go to a sales job. Oh my God. Yes. Wow. So I I never sold security before, but I decided I needed a change. And that was my first opportunity. How is the mileage though? Like, is your car okay? That sounds stressful. (laughs) That car didn't last, I think, any more than about a year (laughs) after that. I actually had to sell it. It Yeah, it was bad. It was on, um, I don't know if anyone's been in DC, but if you've driven uh, 66, so uh, So essentially, yeah, my, my car, my car didn't make the trip for too long. (laughs) (laughs) Not surprised. Wow. That's, oh my gosh. I'm just, yeah, we should be more curious about the cyber aspect, but I'm very, I have one more question about your commute. Um, (laughs) like no, how, so did that always take you two hours? In my mind, it's, it's DC traffic. So it's like, that's really like three hours each way. Yeah. Well, okay. It was supposed to really be an hour drive. And because okay, and then, I lived, I drove from Bowie, Maryland to mm-hmm. Ashburn, Virginia. It, it was Oof. a really, really far distance. It was bad. That's oh, rough. Yes. No, you could have, as terrible as it is to say, you could have really used the pandemic that year. I know. Okay. <laughs> Don't even get me started. Okay. I know it sounds selfish, but it's been great to have a work from home policy then. It was so, but they, they required yeah. us to be in the office. Yeah. That's right. Craziness. The one, the one positive from, from that this year. Um, so, so moving on from, from, you know, your commute, which is a good story, but let's drive back to cyber for a second. So one of the things we notice when we're talking to a lot of people in this is that there's millions of unfilled jobs in cyber right now. And your focus on training and mentoring in the field is something that's unique. Can you walk us through that process and how you think it might be helpful for those jobs and, and people trying to get into cyber? that maybe they just don't even know how or or why or if they should? Yes. So um, the pipeline for cybersecurity is a complex topic. And I think it gets even more complicated when you start to think about how many people are trying to get in using different avenues. There is no one way to get in. Um, Even the way that I got in was interesting and unique. So the way that I tell people to do to get in 
is one, start with networking. Um, I have a number of people in my network who reach out all the time, asking me questions, um, asking to be mentored. But unfortunately, mentors don't have enough time with mentees to actually guide them through an entire process. So there are organizations like ISACA, ISC Squared. Um, there are organizations like... Um, uh, what's the new one? There's a new organization, uh, a, a number of them, even for women specifically. And those have processes for mentorship that allow you to meet with people who have the time to develop you and develop the career and help sponsor your entry into the into the uh, the InfoSec community. What I'll say is I've benefited from um, a, a long line of really strong male bosses who saw in me the potential, despite the fact that I didn't have the experience. So what I've always done is been strong in sales and then leverage that in cybersecurity to then demonstrate how I could be good in something else. So it's all about, I develop my transitional skill sets, communication, writing, report um, uh, presentations. Those things are very useful in this field and they're useful and things that you should be doing in other areas that you can then bring into the space and then make waves and, and into other areas of, of InfoSec like pen testing or threat modeling and that sort of thing. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And like, um, we've heard, you know, we've talked to a couple of cyber people so far and we heard that like, it's so much more important uh kind of like looking at a person's potential and like interest and sort of trajectory that you could see rather than having some sort of degree. I feel like that's so opposite right now of like what we're seeing in the job search market where on so many uh, job postings, you'll see you need this degree, you need this 10 years experience and blah, blah, blah. So how, how do you think it could, you could kind of make it, you know, if people are looking for cybersecurity uh, analysts or, you know, entry-level cybersecurity jobs or whatever, how do you think they can kind of get that across and, you know, because I feel like it'd, it'd be hard to sort of say like, hey, you know, do you want to catch hackers or like, like, how do you do that? Like, <laughs> wait, I think you should do that. Actually, I think that's honestly, really like I would probably look into that job. If you want to catch something some like that. hackers? You want to really dive in to save some lives of those who were hacked? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, one of the things I say all the time is that I remember being a, a kid and watching TV and all of these ads started to crop up. Uh, where the military was advertising for people who wanted to join the army or the Marines or the Navy. And we saw that on public TV. It was, it was broadcasted everywhere. And when they were targeting women, the ad looked a certain way. And when they were targeting minorities, the ad looked a certain way. And when they were targeting young men um, from specific communities, the ad looked a certain way. I think the problem that the InfoSec community has is that it hasn't tried to campaign and market in a succinct and uniform way to a, a number of people who are looking for the right opportunity. If I had been asked if I wanted to catch hackers, I would have been like, I'm not even sure what you're talking about because I avoided typing like the plague in high school. Like, I don't know who they are and I don't want to catch them. But if you told me, do you want to make more money? Do you want to contribute to society? Do you want to do work that is fulfilling and worthwhile? That might have gotten my attention. So I think the way we discuss cybersecurity needs to change. I also think that 
The easiest entry-level ways into the space are in the analyst role, but then also in the GRC policy writing, um, the parts of it that are that are don't require necessarily that you have years and years of security experience. I think we need to advertise those areas more than we do. And the hacking part is sexy, but just like when I wanted to be an attorney and I thought that I'd be Matlock in court all day long and just, you know, telling the jury the story. When I found out that only 5% of cases go to the jury, I was like, I don't really want to practice law. So the fact is that that part is sexy and it grabs attention. But I think we're missing the fact that what we do is really part law enforcement, part law um, law practice, part uh, policy, part um, you know, uh, even some of the military aspects, it's all combined into one career. So we've got to find ways to advertise all the very interesting parts so people can find the places that are interesting to them and they can develop the, the, uh, the experience and the background they need to get the jobs they need. I liked that like cyber twist you just threw there. Like I was like, hire me. I'm ready to work for you, Jules. Let's conquer the world together. I love the more money money aspect <laughs> but uh but i agree I, I do think the the rhetoric behind cyber does need to be shifted and i do think that cyber is something that's never going away and it's something that should be seen as this is here this is not going away this is going to continue why would you not look at it as you want something secure stable profitable yes. and also like useful yes Boom, right here so so i like it i'm signing up on your campaign um, I'm there. I'm there. Um, so just to throw a random question here. So every time we have somebody on for cyber, it's always, you know, okay, cyber, protect your data, you know, great. If you could sell us something that's just like a total twist on cyber, something we just didn't even know was cyber or something that's just going to just freak us out or something that's just going to make us feel like, oh, well, this is really like endearing. We didn't know anything, just something that's really going to change our mind where we're going to be like, no one has ever come on and talked to us about that. What would it be? No pressure, by the way, no pressure. There is so much pressure. Um, no I'm kidding. Um, you, you know, I I don't know that I've had enough time to wow you, but I, what I like in cybersecurity to inside of an enterprise is to diplomacy. Um, a lot of the way in which cybersecurity is operating within organizations is that right now it's kind of the stepchild, unfortunately, and, we, and, and, and I, I will have stepchildren, so please, I'm sorry about that, but people aren't really bringing them into the fold inside an organization and when I talk about diplomacy, if you think about what a diplomat does, they go forth first, they send out messages, sometimes propaganda, and they build relationships. Cybersecurity today has to act as a diplomat because people inside the organization typically don't understand it. They don't know why they need to do it. It's a pain. It slows everything down. But if you can make it so that people see it coming and they're like, oh, I've heard about these guys. I knew it was coming. I knew that it was something I needed to be prepared for. And we're prepared. I think cybersecurity wouldn't have such a bad rap. So I'm all about this idea of cyber diplomacy. I'm all about the idea of the CISO or even a BISO as the cybersecurity ambassador. And the idea is how does cybersecurity build relationships up and down the organization? Yeah. And that's, that's such a good point. It's, is kind of, cause I, I mean, 
after talking to a couple of people about cyber, like I would have never really thought about the diplomacy side. Um, so that's so interesting. I, 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 that occurred to me. So I went to Israel for a cyber conference mm. and um, um, Benjamin Netanyahu talked a lot about uh, the fact that globally Israel isn't very well liked. And what he did is invest in cybersecurity, something that every country needed, and leverage cybersecurity to go out into different countries that they know don't even like them with something that they know they want and need in order to build relationships. And when I started to think about what he was saying, what, what he said is, we don't have to be liked, we need to be respected. And if you think about cybersecurity in the same way, they don't need to be liked, but they need to be respected so people will do what they're asking them to do. And so when I made those correlations, it became clear to me, our approach has been to really bully, <laughs> push, uh, threaten, scare, and it's got to be to talk, communicate, um, you know, work with and collaborate with. And I think that will gain better results overall. I mean, I'm making my sign for your campaign right now. It's like, <laughs> I am in. <laughs> Well, and, and to, you know, talking about kind of cyber on a global scale, I wanted to ask kind of your take on some of the sort of bigger hacks that we've seen kind of reach the headlines. You know, there was the Colonial Pipeline. There was um, a couple other ones. The mo- meat more one. one. The, the meat, meat one, one really, really hits our <laughs> Oh, meat well, no, one. Like, That's what on. we know. It. J- JBS. <laughs> yeah. 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 JBS. And, hits. and recently T-Mobile, Um, you know, uh, uh, millions of records of T-Mobile customers were, were stolen, account names, social information. So um, I wanted to kind of get your take on all of these kind of high profile hacks that have been going on. Why do you think they're happening? Do you think it's that we're paying more attention and this has always happened or it's kind of getting a little bit, you know, companies are getting uh, penetrated more easily? What, what do you think is going on here? And also just to jump on that. Yeah, you said T-Mobile. I'm thinking Cox Communication was yes. hacked. Notice the ones that are hacked. It's like everyone wants, you know, save the meat, you know, yes. and, and like, but it is like the ones we're hearing about, especially. So I also am just to jump on Gabby's question. Is there a reason specific ones? And I don't know why I'm air quoting. No one can see it, but I air quoted that. But specific ones are hacked. Um, so, so I'll start with Gabby's question first and then I'll move to yours, Laura. So, um, they're, they're both happening at the same time. Cybersecurity is getting more notoriety and more attention. And at the same time, the, the thrill and the actual, um, the, the, the money, the bounty to be made from hacking is increasing at the same time as well. So mm. with both of those things happening, hacktivists have more motivation to hack. So they're hacking more than they would previously because now people can see it. Criminals mm. no longer have to break into places physically. They can do it online, which is easier. They can leverage people, which were m- much easier. And so I think that 
the, the threshold and the, the bar of entry is, is ra radically decreased. Before it need, required military grade entry into military grade systems, right? Back in 50s, even like 90s even, those systems are really big, these really big computers and these physical locations. You have to do a number of things right in order to get into a system like that. Whereas now everyone has access to a, a phone. Everyone has access to a computer um, and the, the way in which technology is being created is so quick that a lot of the security is not being built in from the beginning. Actually, they're being bundled on. So it is. it only requires, I say this all the time. Uh, I don't know if any of you watch the, the channel ID. Um, what I do, yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's scary. And I'll, I'll watch that night to scare myself. But, but literally, I figured out that, honestly, if you're operating in a way where you don't know that someone's targeting you, but they are in fact targeting you so they know everything you're doing, they're likely to get you. What you want to hope for is no one's looking for you. Because if you think about the cybersecurity community now, CISOs have to do everything right. They're not sure who is coming after them, but hackers are targeting them, right? So they only have to get it right once. Whereas a CISO or an organization, an enterprise has to protect every single thing. And they don't even know what door the person is going to come in through or what person is going to walk them in. So it, it actually is a mathematical equation to actually figure out how to protect both uh, governments, system servers, because the number of times you have anybody make a connection, that's the number of entry points attack and um, attack service increase that you're potentially increasing exponentially by. So it's a mathematical problem, cybersecurity, that we're trying to solve in very technological ways or very people-oriented ways, but it isn't really strategically being done. And we're not taking into consideration the number of things that have to be right at the same time all the time in order for us to really protect ourselves. I mean, I'm going to have nightmares. Like yeah. after you just said that, I was just like, I'm going to wake up in the middle of the night and be like, cyber attack. Uh, it just really you scared me there. Oh, no, I, I think you put it in such a good way, though, because like uh, it's kind of like when you were when you were talking about that, like I was a mat, I was imagining a physical house, yeah. but having like a bunch of doors because yeah. those are all the connection points it. so it's it's just it's, like they're coming to get you yeah they're all yeah. coming and, you and, don't. And, <laughs> and literally it, it and, and and so the, the challenge is people okay so when i talk to senior leaders in security even senior executives they understand the problem the challenge is our security industry also incentivizes really, you know, unicorns and billion dollar companies and sales of services. So you have to buy these things, but they're not made to solve all the problems. They're made to solve maybe one or two problems. And then you've got to figure out how to make them work together. It actually increases the risk that you'll be breached. So I can say I am certain T-Mobile, knowing that it had been breached before it, did what it thought it could to protect itself, but it had to get everything right. And that's the problem. So in essence, it is a matter of when. It's not if, it's when. All right, so good for you, Teen Mobile. There was a compliment in there. I heard it, so that's nice. Uh, I'm still, like, shaking off the previous stuff. 
Um, so speaking of problems, and it, it does seem like during this conversation, as I'm sitting here, you know, campaigning with you, you're sitting here addressing there are problems, but you're also saying here are obvious solutions. Here's different ways to look at things. And, and I think that needs to be respected. And so I kind of want to bring that to a, a global thing. So if I were to ask you, like globally, what do you think the biggest challenges in cyber are just just as a global front and in general, you can I have no clue what these would be. And I'm, I'm afraid of what you're going to say. But with that being said, also, what do you think are possible solutions to those? Um, so I don't know that I know the answer and I don't think any one person does. But I can say that any time um, in the world that our countries or organizations like the UN or these really large global organizations are faced with a problem that they can't fix. They put together committees, they put together bodies that are designed. Like for instance, think about how quickly we got a vaccine, whether you like vaccines or not. It was a global problem that we came up with a solution for. It required multiple people to sit in a room and really start to address how they could get the problem start um, solved. So, and it was on multiple levels, right? We need the vaccine for people. We need to keep people away from each other. We need to put laws in place. It was at multiple levels. Cybersecurity requires there to be a body that is that is really focused on protecting globally all countries, all enterprises or organizations. And those people are innovators. They're not focused on today's problems. They're actually focused on tomorrow problems and they're designing today for the things we need to put in place like policies infrastructure um uh connections for that to actually work so i think we need to start being more forward thinking but thinking as a body of people strategically looking forward and figuring out we can't solve today's problems but let's just say let's look forward three years five years what do we want to have in place by then so we allow ourselves to meet the moment when that time comes that's my overall kind of approach. Yeah, no, I love that. And that actually leads me to my next and final question for you, Jules, is I I love to know, like, what are what's coming down the pipeline? What are some trends that we're looking out for between, you know, five to 10 years in cyber and also, you know, for revolution cyber? What yep. What's coming up in the in the next couple of years? She said the revolution cyber specifically because we're like, Jules for global cyber hero of the of the year. <laughs> yeah, well, yes. Um, it, funny enough, I was having this conversation um, with Asiso earlier, and um, it, it, one of the things he said was, you know, funny enough, we need a revolution. What he's saying is, we've got to. He anticipates that there will be a full scale change in the way that cybersecurity is addressed within five years. It'll be focused. Definitely more leaning because people talk about, um, you know, um, AI and those sort of things. But really, it will be requiring cybersecurity will require analytics and artificial intelligence in order for it to operate in the way that I've said we need for it to exponentially grow. That's one. Two, um, I, I definitely see a reduction in people in cyber. I think we've, we're heavily people oriented now. Um, there will be an influx of people with a diverse mindset, meaning from different areas of our economy or from different countries globally working together. But what I will also say is there'll be a reduction in the number of people needed 
in order to do the work that is required for cybersecurity. Um, the third thing is I see a shift now from uh, technology implementations to having technology companies bundling services in. So tying the two things together for delivery um, so there won't be as many unicorn companies that don't have services also built in. There is also a, um, I can see a lot of consolidation of companies. So, you know, companies like Nova for are, are, are buying lots of companies up. Microsoft is buying lots of companies up. The big guys are getting bigger and that will continue uh, as far as I can see. But I think also we will be moving more into a virtual world. If you start to think about where the tech billionaires um, the, the the big data companies are investing. It's in a, creating a whole new world, a, a whole new virtual world where we're all acting, living, and, and existing in that place. So I see a shift from what is our real world today to another world in which we operate in. And I think the protection of that world will be easier because I think already they're designing security into it. They're designing privacy into it. And this world in which we live in, of course, we'll still be protecting, but it won't be, the fundamental things will be happening there. So I would look out for that. So a lot of VR, XR, AR, all sorts of things where it's an alternate reality than where we sit today. And cybersecurity will play a role there because I believe cybersecurity will be at the core, whereas now I feel like it's on the edges. And we're talking about cybersecurity, but not in a way, If when, I, when you go to a place like Israel, physical security is day in, day out in Israel, everything you do from the time you wake up to when you go to bed, you're very hyper aware of your physical security. I think the world will move to hyper awareness of cybersecurity, the protection of your digital assets, who you are with regard to identity. Identity is a big thing. Um, and identity is required, the focus on identity for that new virtual world. So ver identity will be the center of our conversations around reality, um, who we are and what, what where we are with regard to the our world today and the virtual world. Well, Jules, that, that was a lot to take in. I am yeah. excited and scared. It's a mix <laughs> for me because I am yeah. partially like, oh no, the new world is coming. And I'm also like kind of putting on my cyber gear, like the new world is coming. <laughs> so mixed feelings there. But um, this has been an educational, um, uh, to say the least, episode. So thank you so much for coming on and talking with us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. I had a great time. talk to Jules Okafor. Uh, tell me what your tech takeaways are. I mean, she genuinely should run for some sort of like cyber policy politics. I, I don't know what her role would be, but I'm voting for her for sure. I love the not only passion that she clearly has, but the knowledge behind it and the twist that she's really putting on cyber because she's brought to attention something different than what a lot of the people we've talked about, which is really bringing in the global aspect of it. It's not just about here are the obvious cyber attacks you've heard. Hackers are bored, but it's really looking at it in a global reach. I mean, it, 
when she talked about Israel and what's happening there, when she was talking like Israel in that, I think it's the same thing with a lot of places outside the U.S. where they genuinely have such a passion for their country that their first thing is how do we protect each other? And in in changing that with the cyber aspect, when you're looking at hackers, the reason people are hacking is because they're not looking after your best interest. They're looking after what can I do? What can I get? What can I gain? And so if you have more protection around that and more of a cyber community that's saying, hey, we're all doing this. And it's more of a general awareness outside of just that cyber community. Like you're not in a tech position right now, right? Minus this podcast. And so you're not necessarily thinking about your cyber community. But if it was so ingrained in you that it's like, yeah, we need this to protect each other in this, you would look at it a little differently. And I think that's kind of what she's presenting. Yeah. And I really liked how she, um, you know, was saying how we have to be kind of like forward thinking in, in the, you know, tackling problems in cyber and, um, and especially the part about kind of getting on everything's going to be, you know, virtual, digital, which is what we're already seeing. And when she was talking about that, I couldn't help but think of like Second Life, you know, that game where it's like you're basically it's like your life, but it's just online. And it's just like, you know, obviously that's a game right now. But when you think about it, who carries cash? Who care? I mean, I know people still carry like credit cards and debit cards and stuff like that, but that's all on your phone. It's all available kind of digitally um and we're seeing more and more of that uh you know with currency going digital and all of that type of stuff so i think that's so interesting and just to kind of think of like that forward thinking aspect of it um she just spoke so well about that she 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 really did and it was like before at one point when we were talking how she was saying about how her kids play roadblocks you know i look at my nieces and nephew are all on it it's the same thing it's the whole virtual world. I think, you know, a decade or so ago, it was the Sims or something that people played. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're like, oh, look at this. And, <laughs> but it was like, you know, you'd get on maybe once a week and it's you're like, like, what's this? Let me have my Sim like do, do the dishes. Like, <laughs> yeah. And you're like, ha ha. And it's like, just wash the real dishes. But uh, <laughs> it's like, it's really not that it's fun. It's like my Sim will be like working out, but like, I'll just be playing the sims (laughs) yeah and that's the scary part is i think it was back then just oh the sims and now it's roadblocks and second life and all these things that almost are real you have those headsets you put on where it's like oh i'm in paris and so i don't have to go to paris i can just put this headset on and vr yeah honestly though but like come on and especially when we're talking and this is you know maybe venturing on to like sci-fi but maybe not but when we're thinking about like you know pandemics you know all of a lot of the scientists are like yeah there's probably going to be more you know very dangerous viruses going on and with everything becoming more and more digital are we just going to say like no there's a huge risk at like having human to human contact so like let's just live like completely virtual like when are we going to get there so I feel like like it might be a question of when instead of if. yeah yeah like, i think you're, you're right set. on that i think it is more when but but you don't know 
Because you look at so much has happened in the past, like 14 years from we didn't even have the Internet to now we have the Internet. And yet and yet you look back at like classic cartoons like the Jetsons. Where are the flying cars? (laughs) You look at, you know, uh, back in the future. Where are the hoverboards? Like why? I think um, wasn't Mark Zuckerberg uh, on a uh, like a water hoverboard during the 4th of July and he was like carrying the flag. Did you see that? Yeah, but it's not the same. (laughs) Sorry, but at this point, we were promised hoverboards. The internet. And Mm -hmm. where is my hoverboard? (laughs) Also, Laura, I have a question for you that's going to blow your mind. Um, Blow it. Are are we living are we living in a computer simulation right now? Yeah, this is actually a hologram version of Laura. The real Laura is not here. Um, no, it, but like, know. have you ever heard of that? Like, like the Truman that, Show, uh, but the theory, virtual, but virtual, and like, but like, we're the Sims, basically. If that's the case, then I just, I just want to like say, awesome job to whoever created me. Yeah, like, to whoever created that. So well, like, you did great. <laughs> like, it's really honestly true. like. Honestly, like, you know, kudos. Yeah. I can't, I have nothing else to say. Yeah. Like, yeah. not even mad about it. Like, just kudos. Yeah. So with that said, if you also believe that you are in a virtual cyber world with us, then you should probably be listening to more of our podcasts. So check us out at www.thattechpod.com. Check us out on our LinkedIn. It's LinkedIn slash that tech pod. Um, our Twitter exists. Uh, and you can also send us an email if you want to be on our show, if you know someone that wants to be on our show or if you just want to tell us that you actually have created the hoverboard and share it with us at contact tell it to at, us yeah send it to us please contact <laughs> at thattechpod.com also if you just want to help us out uh we would love you forever if you went to apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this podcast and give us a five star rating and you can write us a review we like we said we would be so appreciative um even if you are giving us constructive criticisms or telling us how awesome we are either way if it's the latter amazing if it's the latter that's awesome tell us how great we are go on And if you hate us, you can tell us that too. But more importantly, share us to others and see if they hate us or maybe love us. So thank you for listening. Please continue to listen. Please share us with everyone you know and check back here, uh, you know, on Tuesday. Mm